I'd like to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers in here, both those who have kids at home, whose kids are grown, those who are spiritual fathers, the influence that you provide. We are grateful for you. And I was reading something this week, and God arrested me and said, stop there and, and speak on it. There are differences between men and women. We know that. There are all kinds of funny things for Father's Day. There is a book which was written, and it's a very good book by Dr. James Dobson. Parenting isn't for cowards. He shares this story. It's the story of a man who was at work, and before he left work, he received a text, and the text was a shopping list that he needed to stop by and pick a few things up at the store. As he was walking through the store, he noticed someone. It was another father. That father had his child with him, about three years old. And the child was being, let's say, uncooperative. And so, as most men, when we go to stores, we will see each other often because we get lost at stores. And so, as he passed this man the first time, he heard the child saying, Dad, I would like a candy bar. And he heard some of the conversation, not all of it, but he picked up on this. The man said, Billy... Just be calm. We'll be done soon. And so a few more aisles he goes, and he runs into the same guy again. And by this time, the child has gotten a little more agitated, taking it up an octave. And the man is just holding it together. The child's like, I want the candy bar. I want the candy bar. He says he hears the father say very calmly, Billy, everything's going to be all right. We'll leave here soon. By the time that he gets to the register, the man is in front of him. The kid is in full-blown tantrum mode. The guy checks out and just keeps it steady. He goes out to his car, and the man's watching this. And as he goes to his car, he's loading his things. The child's sitting there in the cart as he's loading. And he hears the father say, Billy, we made it. It's okay. And so the man rushes out to speak to this, this father. What is your secret? That's what he's wondering. I couldn't help but notice how you handled that situation with Billy. And the man turns to him and says, you don't get it, do you? He's like, my name's Billy. <laughs> As a father. I slid that one in there, didn't I? You were thinking I was... <laughs> As a father, I have been there many times, and I don't have the same touch that my wife does. I'm, with the next ones, Dawn, we will skip them. I'm going to go into this. And the text today is going to be from John chapter 4, verses 46 through 53. I will read it. This is from the New King James. It said, So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and he implored him to come down and heal his son. The son was at the point of death. And Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. 
But the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. And as he was going down, the servants met him and told him, Your son lives. Then they inquired of them. He inquired of the servants of the hour when the son got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour which Jesus had said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. Now, I know that I make fun a lot about go sports. There was a time in the mid-90s where if you lived in Cleveland and were not a fan of the greatest baseball team, the 95-96 Indians, there's something wrong. I, perfect time of baseball. Even when he didn't win, it was the greatest team. I will argue that till the day I die. There's a player, though, and his name was Ken Griffey Jr., and Ken Griffey Jr. was this all-around phenom. Ken Griffey Jr. was always one that when you saw the leader in home runs, he was always near the top. Show his picture there, Don. But what's wild, if you really knew baseball and you studied things, it wasn't as much the swing as it was his follow-through. Show me this next picture. This guy, it was almost like art, the way that he would follow through. And I am sure to this day, it is a swing which is studied by players right now because it's that good. And so today, I'm going to challenge you men. I'll challenge everyone to elevate your game. There has never been a time when the world needs men to be men. There has never been a time that I can remember whether they want godly men or not, that they need godly men. And there has never been a time in the church where godly men are being called to be present, consistent, and unwavering in the way that we are now. There is a quote from the study that we're doing with the men. Dennis Rainey said this, Before I could step up to true manhood, I had to decide what I truly believe. I'm going to ask today, what do you truly believe? There was a book that was written by the founder of Chick-fil-A, Truett Cathy, and the title of the book says it all. It is better to train boys than to mend men. Actions over time, the follow-through is what trains the next generation. Words spoken from the ground about what you don't like on the wall all that's going to do is train our children to be critics that will never understand the feeling of family and of working together toward a God goal. And so in this, when we read, Jesus had returned to the place, Cana, where that first miracle had taken place, the water into wine. The time of his earthly ministry, it was very young, if you will. But during this time, it's amazing how people began to follow. People began to see what was happening, and they began to follow. And what's wild is they started to get comfortable. Now, we have seen the miraculous take place quite often. But we can come to a point where we start golf clapping for God. 
we can come to a point where we're just like, okay, what's this Sunday miracle going to be? Really? I've heard the saying that at the foot of the cross, we are all equal. It is level at the foot of the cross. I will raise that to say that we are all level in the face of desperation at the foot of the cross. There is something that happens when things are out of control. When you can't control it as a man, because that's what we want to do. My wife told me something profound once. When we were talking, there was this counselor with Emerge that we had talked to, and they had said, men, when they seem scared, will react in anger. If you can't control a situation, your gut instinct is to get mad because you want to control it. And so until desperation comes to our house, things are pretty different. And as I was praying this week, I was saying, God, this is a house where I want your name to be respected. But I don't want it to become comfortable. This is a house where I want to give you everything that I can. But I don't want to establish formality in the way that I say what you should get. And I think today God showed up and sort of set that. Oh, you have a schedule? I see your schedule, and I raise it, the power of the Holy Spirit. So we go to that passage, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Somewhere between the casual Christianity, this casual walk, and the things that we see, I can tend to want to wrestle the director's pen or the author's pen from God's hands. I can say, let me be the guest director. Let it go the way that I think it should. In other words, I can say, Jesus, do it this way. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been faced with something and all of a sudden you're telling the Lord how to handle it? When we do this, we tend to define what the major thing is that's going on. Here's what's wild. We can only define from our perspective. A practical gauge of faith is this. Have people been looking at you lately like something's wrong with you? Because faith will make people look at you sometimes like something's wrong with you. Church people look at you like, that's a bold statement. Yeah, it is. Wait, you said he can heal what? Yeah, I said it. If people aren't looking at you like you're slightly crazy, is it really diving into faith? Looking at this here, he was a nobleman. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter the degree on your wall, the number of people you manage at work, the number of people that jump when you say to jump the size of your bank account, the number of years you have walked through the back doors of Christian Life Church. God has the final say. It says in Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of a son of man plans his ways and Lord Jehovah orders his steps. There comes a point when my plans need to meet his word. So this man's plan, he says in verse 47, he goes to Jesus, he implores him to come down and heal his son because he was at the point of death. This was a journey of approximately 25 miles. That's about from here to Cleveland right now. That's how far he came to seek Jesus. It was kind of like knowing how to step up to the plate 
knowing how to hold the bat. He knew what to do, and as men, we know what to do, and we can get comfortable with that. If we come into God's house, if we look the part, if we don't talk this way, if we this, like, we know how to step up to the plate. But God's saying, do you understand that everything has to do with the follow-through? Everything has to do with the follow-through. Jesus turns as this man comes to him, and he checks the crowd. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe I'll rephrase that to say, is your belief only attached to the miracles that you see? And so this nobleman doing what I do, trying to tell Jesus how it's supposed to work, he not only brings the problem, he brings the solution. Jesus, come down to my house and heal my son. Jesus, come down here. We're about fixing the issue. We're about the WD-40 and the duct tape. I'm about when something goes wrong, I know where Jesus is. I know where to go to find him. I can tell Jesus my laundry list of things to fix. I want him to make it better, and then things will be better. But then God checks me. And God says, instead of telling me to come down there, why don't you come up here? And then Jesus speaks these words, go your way for your son lives. For everyone who's sitting here right now, I say that because it is very clear to me when he said that something stood out, go your way. Those Proverbs 16, 9 steps, before the dust of this earth was created, before the hills rose up, before that first heartbeat ever came about, there were those steps that God Almighty had ordained for you as a believer in Christ to walk. He says, I charted it, I planned it, I ordained it, I anointed it. And whether I mean to or not, I pull out the map. And I say, God, I know what you say and I know what you're capable of, but how about we take this route and you come along with me? But what I love about this story, and it hit me, there was no backstory when it came to this boy. Only the facts, only the ugly truth. That boy was near the point of death. And I say that for a real talk moment here for you. Some of you that sit here, fathers, some of you mothers that are sitting here as well, there are some that are living under your roof. Those who have the same blood in their veins as you do, that they are existing, merely existing in a place waiting for spiritual death, it seems like. The reality is they're not walking with the Lord and things seem grim right now. But here's what I'm going to tell you. And I feel like God whispered it to my heart. And if I don't share it, I'm scared. It's time to cut the backstory. It's time to give the director credit back to God. Whatever led to that boy being in that place, maybe somebody let Johnny go out with wet hair and go sledding and play in the snow, and it's their fault, it's their fault, it's their fault. We need to come to a place where the minor things that led to the major problem are not what we focus on. Because I am telling you what, when it comes to church, we can come up with 370 excuses that whoever we are claiming to come back to Jesus hears, and they don't need any more excuses because we've given them enough about how the church treats people and the church this and they did you wrong and they... Stop. 
it is time to stop? Because I'll tell you what, if I was to stand and ask, what was the thing that killed Lazarus? How many people really know that? You know what? Not many. No one really, because we focus on the come forth part of that story. And it is time that we start focusing on the resurrection aspect, not what got that boy in that bed, not what put Lazarus in the ground, but we need to know that the one that we serve isn't concerned with the backstory because he's looking at future. There is a quote that says, this is the test of your manhood. How much is there left in you after you have lost everything outside of yourself? When you are in a point of desperation, men, it's the point that separates the fan from the faithful. It's a place where my plan meets his word. It's that place where you have that sick feeling in your stomach. When Jesus turns to him and says, go, did you notice that Jesus didn't say, you go and I'll be right behind you? You go and I'll walk right beside you. No, he says, go on your way here to Cleveland. How scary would that feel? This is where the follow-through kicks in. Jesus has spoken some things to some of us, and we are scared to walk away from the place where we stand with our knees shaking. He says, go your way, your son lives. Begin to walk toward the promise that I've already spoken. It says in James 4, 8, what? Draw nigh, draw near to God, and what? Here's how I always understood it. I always understood it like I'll take a step and then God will take a step. And so this journey from here to Cleveland, I'd only have to walk halfway, right? I'm pretty sure God's taller than me because everyone's taller than me. <laughs> so the stride would be a bit different for the almighty God, would it not? It says in verse 50 and 51, so the man believed the word that Jesus spoke and he went his way. And as he was going his servants met him, and they told him, saying, your son lives. When you begin to walk toward the promise, that promise will meet you halfway. But then I correct it to say that God's steps are so much bigger. And when we begin to view a problem that looks impossible, we're trying to weigh it out from our perspective. But here's what's wild. I can't see Cleveland from here. I don't know how much of this journey I need to walk before the promise is right there, but I need to start walking. I need to turn in confidence and go toward it. Your son lives. Back to those people that thought that I just tore them up. I didn't. I was scared not to say that. Your son or daughter lives. It says in Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and have our being. The one that is within your home that you worry yourself sick about, the same blood in their veins as you. Your son lives. Your daughter lives. We speak life over your son or daughter. They're going to live. They're not going to die. They're going to move according to a plan which God has given them and has been personalized and received and they understand and that they hear. They are going to have his or her being a God-given identity that's not based on the wreckage of the past but is based on who they are in Christ and going forward. Did you pick up from that story where the follow-through kicked in? I can only imagine for this dad as he was coming to Jesus that he was running in desperation. 
from Capernaum. But as he walked away, every step was one of belief. As he walked away, the hype from the crowds that just wanted to see another miracle take place in front of their eyes, impersonally, it faded. Just keep walking. He was walking toward a house when he left it that was somber. I can only imagine that the shades were down. You know, when you have a fever, the one thing that you tend to do is you cover up with blankets. And I can only imagine as that man was leaving that house, the devil rubbing his hands together. Whispering in his ear, you see those blankets? That's just a dress rehearsal for grave clothes for that boy. Whatever is in a home in this house right now that has troubled you, I am claiming in the name of Jesus that the fever is about to break. That the chill is about to leave the air. That the feet are about to hit the floor. What you thought was a major thing was only the better part of the story. And I'll come to that in a second when I close. I can only imagine as he ran in desperation. See, fear makes you run. Human desperation makes you run. In verse 52, he inquired of them, the servants, the hour which the boy got better. And they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour that fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. Do you know what faith does? Faith slows the roll. You don't need to run in desperation anymore. It's time to start walking. It is time to start walking. It is time to find your stride in Jesus Christ. <coughs> The average walking pace is 3.5 miles per hour. That man could have easily walked back home after Jesus told him to that evening. Even if he walked slow, it would have taken him under six hours. But notice the servant's words when he said, when did the boy get better? They said, yesterday, about one o'clock, yesterday. I'm going to use this at some point when Dina asks, weren't you just going to the store? Where are you? Somewhere on the journey, desperation turned to delegation. What do I mean by that? I mean the desperation of what am I going to do came to the point where it met the word of Jesus Christ who said this is what's going to happen. And it was delegated as a child of God that what I need to do now is just walk back toward the promise. And someone in here needs to understand you are a delegate. You are not some desperate castaway. You are a son or daughter of God, and that which he has said is true, and you need to begin to walk. And the other people may say, well, look at you. You aren't a good parent because you should run home. No, this is my time with Jesus. Every step will shout confirmation. God has said, I've already moved in situations it may have been dark when you started the journey, but what I'm going to do, I am going to do for everyone to see. You thought it was about a sick boy. But as you found your stride, as you began to walk with confidence toward the evidence that was there, as it became personal, as you were speaking life and I was clarifying who I was, that seventh hour report, when that question was asked, do you think he really wondered when Jesus healed that boy? He knew. But God has a funny way of making talk points for other people. 
The father knew it was in the same hour that Jesus had said, your son lives. The best that that man had hoped for in this story was to fix the situation and for his boy to become better. But Jesus never stops at better. He always takes it to best. Oh, when he spoke that word, that boy was healed and it was awesome. The best is put in at the very end of that passage. And he himself believed in his whole household. See, Jesus all along, what he was wanting to do was invade that home with revival. And the vehicle for that was something that looked heartbreaking. And he made it better. But then he took an entire household from where it was to the best place that it could ever be. Those that are in your home, they're taking it in right now. They know if we live in a way that merely runs to Jesus to fix the situation and tape it back together, then that at best is how they will live when they're older. But if we mark the lead with following through in faith, then they will follow that lead. Oh, it may not look the way that we think that it should, but in Jesus Christ, I claim it's going to look that way. If you in front of your children base your walk on taking him at what actions he does, what hoops he jumps through to keep you happy, then your kids are going to see it. But if you base relationship on the word of God, the unchanging word of God, and structuring your home by that and walking in that when the sun shines or the rain falls, then your kids will see it. That is something you could pull. I could call Matt, Chris, I could call any of them right now, and they would say that about their dad. That they know there have been times when the sky has fallen, and you know what he's done? He's pressed into Jesus. And there have been times that the sun has shined, and you know what? He's given Jesus glory. And they never doubted that's how it should be. And I guarantee when the rain falls on their house, they've seen the example. As men, it's time for us to live the example. Not every third Sunday, not when it's convenient, but on the wall. I've got to stop. Man, we had church. I end with this. I really do. There's some interesting wording when you read into this and you look at the original phrasing. When it said that he placed his faith in his entire household in Christ. That wording, when you look at it, it, it means to take something and to place fully inside of something else. And what's so wild is that boy, he hadn't laid eyes on the miracle yet. He walked away thinking, if Jesus doesn't move, I'm going to bury this boy. But how awesome is it that as a father, he took everything and buried it in Christ. He took that boy while he was still breathing. He's like, Jesus, I bury him in you. I'm taking all the good, the bad, the ugly. It's all free. I'm putting it all here right now. And there are things in your life that you need to bury in Jesus, and there's some things he's going to leave buried. You may not like it, but there are some things that you thought were the major thing, but they're just the seed, and you need to bury it because something needs to grow. And in faith, you need to be bold enough to say, take it all, Jesus. 
No take backs. Take it all. I said to someone the other day, there is something personally that I respect more and more as I get older. And it is reinvention. It's when someone comes to a point where change will no longer be boxed up. Where they leap. Where they do that thing that God has told them to do for so long. It's time for reinvention. It's time for some of us to shake off who people think we should be. Who we've grown accustomed to portraying. And say, Jesus, I bury it in you. What you keep, you keep. And what you let grow, I'm going to celebrate and I'm going to chase that. And it may feel uncomfortable, but I'm going to go that route. And I'm no longer going to walk in the condemnation that has defined me for decades. I'm no longer going to walk in the mistakes that I made that make me disqualified in some way to be the good dad I should be. To be the good husband that I should be. But I am going to begin to walk and slow my roll. It's not about desperation, but every step letting the devil know I'm coming home. I'm coming home, devil. And you better not be there when I get there. And the closer I get, I'm seeing it. I'm coming home, devil. And you better not be there when I get there. Those words spoken in Leroy are taken quite literally. So I'm calling it by Leroy rule, Sharon. Let's stand and we're going to pray. needs to hear that you are worthy of hearing Happy Father's Day. You're worthy of hearing that. You are made in his image. Whatever pedestal you feel like you have fallen off of, I speak new. New from this moment on. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every dad in this room. I thank you for the fact that the devil hears us walking home. An enemy, you may have chuckled here and there, but I'm about to give you the run that I once had. And you're going to flee seven ways. I speak your protection over every house here and I speak your destiny and I pray that we would not be shy about those things that the devil tries to throw at us because we know who writes this story and who directs it. And Father, I pray right now that the homes would be places of healing, of peace, and of safety. I pray for every child that we spoke about, for every heart that has been sick. God, in this moment, I pray that change would start to take place, a softening, a returning. I pray that the fire would be lit and the fatted calf would be brought out of the pen in the name of Jesus Christ. And let us go boldly and stay on the wall in you. Amen. 
Nehmen.